Blue Wire. The Philadelphia 76ers select Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. Here comes Simmons between the legs. Welcome, everybody, to another perhaps slightly depressing episode of The New Slant. As always, I'm your host, Kyle Newbeck, with me, my buddy, my pal, Seamus Clancy. Seamus, how are you doing after that horrendous defeat the Sixers just had in Toronto? Well, coupled with, we're recording this obviously on Monday night, yesterday's debacle, Saturday afternoon at Lincoln Financial Field, I've been better. Yeah, you know, I think we just saw the worst performances the, yeah, of West. Yes, well, exactly what I was going to say. Careers back to back, and so that's that's. If you're a Philly sports fan, I feel like that's probably pretty tough to recover from. <laughs> it's it's happened because my personal life finally has some sense of stability, so it's only fair that those things would happen. The universe is is conspiring against you and only you. Well, and everyone else in Philly too. Yeah, that's true. Well. Hopefully everyone else's lives are also stable and good outside of the uh, the sports world. But yeah, we were planning on, we were, I was coming in thinking there'd be another consecutive victory for the Sixers. We talk about a little winning streak, laugh at the, uh, the whole Jimmy Butler situation. And instead, I guess we have to talk about what in the world happened with Joel Embiid on Monday night. So what's your, uh, your lead theory here, Seamus? I mean, is it just Embiid played three games at four nights? That fourth, that third game on the fourth night ended up being against a opponent who has frequently given trouble in Marcus Saul, coupled with the fact that they have a lot of rangy long defenders, and it was just the worst possible matchup at the worst possible time for a guy whose conditioning is already pretty poor, so he's even more gas than usual, probably should not have played both halves of the back-to-back over the weekend, and now we're going to be left. If he could have just made, like, five points we wouldn't be having this conversation when he had zero points so now it's gonna be a thing for the rest of the season and it fucking sucks <laughs> yeah you know like as much as i would like to just write it off as the the conditioning thing in three games and four nights i'm not writing just, it off it's just like it, no no, no, no i'm not saying you are as because I, I would not i don't want to get mired in like the the embrace debate on twitter over the next couple of days and like you said over the rest of the season it'll be a thing whenever they they play Toronto. I'm turning into think, a Watchman Turner Twitter account. <laughs> I just think that Joel has no idea what to do against certain centers, and Marcus Ole is one of them. He's a really smart defender, number one, but he's also just huge and strong. And so while Joel can't go through him, and so the solution a lot of times is he doesn't even really try, and he'll sit back and shoot jumpers and. And you know, and a lot of the regular listeners know, I don't have any problem with Joel shooting jumpers as long as they are the sort that he should be taking, those like 14 to 18-foot face-ups where he's not moving, he's not dribbling. It's just catch, stare down the defender, maybe try to get him on a rip-through and shoot. And instead, because he was struggling early on and he couldn't really find his shot, then it devolves into this... Embiid style offense where he's he's shooting crazy step back long twos he's taking contested threes early in the shot clock I'm still a big proponent for him to shoot threes but when you don't have it going and you're seven feet tall that is not the move that is not the shot that you take and I think honestly the the disappointing thing for me 
it's not that he had a bad night. Everybody's got everybody has bad nights throughout the course of an eighty-two game season. The disappointing thing is he just didn't respond at all. And for a guy who's always out talking about, oh, I have real estate in this guy's head, and he's a big trash talker. There are matchups where he just plays himself out of the matchup, this being one of them, and we probably won't hear a peep out of him about it. So I just I thought it was just bad all around from him. Yeah, there was – I mean, he was a plus one somehow, despite – not that I'm putting a ton of stock in the single game plus minus, right. but I just thought it was funny that he played literally the worst game I've ever seen him play, the worst game he's probably played since those infamous scrimmages back at – where did he go? The Rock School? Yeah, back in uh, that's the one in Florida, correct? Yeah, maybe Monverde then. Mont Verde. Be, yes, well, his first practices in high school were at Monverde then, and he's getting like laughed out of the gym. It's probably his worst game of basketball since then. Yeah, he just—I mean, even defensively, he was terrible. That foul that he took on Pascal Siakam. Oh my with, God! I believe there was like a minute left. Horford had played that perfectly. Like, if Siakam hits that shot over Horford's arm, okay, that's fine. But you live with that, and you want to be in a position to help and defensive rebound there's no reason for him to go flailing at, at Siakam's arm on a drive that it was just a nonsense play from a guy who was a smarter and better defender than that and I think like we've talked about this before the way that he normally separates himself from a lot of guys and the reason most people would consider him a superstar type player is that he doesn't let a bad game on offense impact how he plays on defense. And that was not the case on Monday. He absolutely let his bad offensive game impact him on defense. And that ultimately was what killed them in the end. He just checked out. It was, I mean, it was terrible. I, there's, there's I might check so out of this can... pod the way he checked out of the game. <laughs> there's only so much you can say, right? Like, yeah, there's, I don't even know what to say. It's just it's terrible. Well, so here's what I would ask you. Last week, we saw Brown pull Horford from that Knicks game and said, hey, look, we're going to go to James Ennis and Mike Scott to close it out tonight because Horford didn't really have it, and that lineup was also cooking. Do you think it's worth criticizing Brown over putting Embiid back into that game? Because their best minutes all night were when he was not on the floor. So what would the lineup have been? It would have been Ben? Josh. It would have been Toby, Ben, Josh, Tobias, Horford at Ennis, center. Ennis, I guess. Yeah, you you could pick from Ennis or Scott. It's one or the okay. other. Uh, I don't think he should have done that. I think you can live with Al Horford being on the court, but at a certain point that you have to kind of live or die with Joel Embiid. If you're going to win a game, it's probably going to be on his shoulders. It's never really going to be the, a loss. It's rarely going to be on his shoulders and just happen to be one of the one instances in his career where that is the case. Yeah, so I'm a big believer in you play your Just stars. Him, there's no way you could have to, played worse in our minds, right? Right, right. You, there, this is the instance, though, where I think if you're going to make a case for he's, you sit the star on the bench, it's that one because they played better without him. They just the thing down the stretch was they tried to still run two man game with Joel because that's just it's a foundational part of their offense and Toronto basically didn't care what Joel was doing and so they they got to send extra help at guys Tobias Harris had to settle for some some tough shots in the end certainly that's not all on Joel they need they just have a lack of perimeter separation that hurt them and some guys just miss shots but but that's one where I I, I think it's worth questioning there. I don't I'm not gonna sit here and kill Brett Brown over it, but certainly 
the precedent was set last week. One of your big money players was not a fit for how that game was going and he was taken out. And frankly, if Joel really just cares about winning and this team only cares about winning, sometimes they're going to have to make tough decisions like that. So I'm sure that's something other people will talk about. We don't need to make it like a we'll we'll retire the Brett Brown and fire Brett Brown index for this week because that's just a little too soon after the uh the crime happened but yeah not uh not the best showing for Joel was there anything you saw in that game that was encouraging did you like anything about that game well one last point about Joel I will say that if Brett benched him it would have been more of a story about him getting benched than it is him having the zero points that's absolutely true. And I would and, rather them go down and lose that game with him scoring zero than have to have the entire debate the rest of the season. Is is Joel Embiid not actually the good part of the Sixers? Is this Ben Simmons team? Is Ben Dietrich right? Like, I'll, I don't want to deal with any of these things. <laughs> well, and the other side of that is it's easy for me or for you or anybody on the outside to say, yeah, he shouldn't play that guy. But as we've discussed in the past, there's always a lot more to it than that. When it's the franchise player, it's, that it's you Jason don't Peters. To, he do, he has more sway than anyone in the organization, other than the owner. Right. You don't want to anger him. You don't want to cause draw more attention to the situation than is necessary. It's just, again, that's one of the only times I would ever, ever, even consider it. That's all. That's all. Uh, as far as so, you mentioned. Ben's name there what did you think of his night because I thought he was it's one of those mystifying Ben games where I thought he played okay yeah I thought he played okay yeah I mean he was good for long stretches of it and there were times he needed to be more aggressive and and you see in the fourth quarter why they they maybe need him to be more of a scorer type at some point but but yes certainly not the the central problem with the team which I feel like is what we always end up calling him whenever they lose because everything is ultimately always an indictment of Ben Simmons and not anybody else on the roster. Yeah, and that's definitely flipped. That narrative is definitely flipping today. And I will say that, again, we talked about Ben's aggressive. If there was a player or two down the stretch or a possession where things really slowed down, he's kind of caught in no man's land, didn't have his dribble in the high paint. And that's a situation where you're like, hey, dude, just like try to take a shot. Like, just do something. Uh, but ultimately, that's not a game I put on him in any way. Some people are going to critique... Sorry, I dropped my phone. In uh, <laughs> anger. Um, no, so but, you didn't spike your phone? Yeah. So people are going to get on him about that end of the game pass to Tobias. But I have two thoughts. One, good play the by Pascal. The lob was there, dude. That was, that play good play was by there. Pascal. And also, they're going to say like it was a no-look lob. Like, fuck that. Like, go for the style points every time. I'm, I'm totally <laughs> fine going down swinging with like the swagger. Okay, I don't know about that part. But well, I, just for my... Like, I'd rather... Like, I'd rather if they were winning. I'd rather him do the no look pass, went like went on that, and have like just that be his like oh shit, this is Ben Simmons moment. But I'll t- but Tobias should be. Lo- I don't understand what it makes a, what difference it makes because shouldn't everyone knew that he was getting that ball? So why didn't it's not like Tobias wasn't looking for it? So I don't think he should be killed for the no look part. Though it did seem no. I mean the execution was it the seemed a little more there. should have been a little more routine than it was. I'll say that, but I do like the spiciness of a no look pass. <laughs> Well, I don't like the failure of whatever kind of pass it was. That's what I would say. It's okay, like, boomer. <laughs> no, again, I, know, I'm kidding, I don't I'm have, kidding, yeah. I don't have any problem with I agreed with the decision to push the pace because Toronto was out of sorts and That's transition. That's what he does well. 
Yeah, and like you don't want to call a timeout there and then have to, to generate something in the half court. I thought that was a the right move at the time. He just has to throw a better pass, and he's probably thrown that pass in his sleep hundreds of times, honestly. So I, that's not the part that I thought was a problem. It was – he just – he has these spurts where to open the second half, I thought he came out great, came out of halftime yes. and was getting downhill. And the in the first half, he was maddeningly passive where he's getting into the teeth of the defense and passing for no reason. Then he starts taking those shots early third quarter, and I'm thinking, okay, this is, this is going to be a Simmons game. And then he kind of goes right back to the old one. And so ultimately at the end of the day, he created a ton of offense for them. His passing was really good. He he threw one full court outlet to Tobias on just like a an instinctual throw that was unbelievable. But yeah, ultimately it can never just be wow. That was a great Simmons game. There's there's still uh, there's always something to to yell about or debate about at least. I like that Brett didn't call a timeout. I'm always pretty pro just run things out see how things are and especially when it comes to this specific roster construction of this Sixers team there's no reason at all that you want them to be playing in the half court if you don't have to and we're dealing with someone as gifted as Ben Simmons is in the open court just push the ball every single time in that situation yeah I I think that's actually been one of the the big strengths of their late game this year is that Brown has shown a good understanding most nights of when to call a timeout there he lets them go because they're hunting mismatches or cross matches or even just like four on threes five on fours in transition they've gotten a couple of those plays and scored on them and when they haven't then he calls the timeout and he's drawn up some some great stuff on on atos so that that has not been the problem the, i guess the other thing i would put on simmons is he needs to have a better understanding of the clock at the end of the game there. Certainly that's not a, a problem unique to him. There have been a lot of guys who have thrown up shots, but they probably had – what, they have like four or five seconds when he we threw that shot up at the end of the game? Yeah, that I don't put that on him. That just it was a kind of impossible to know the exact clock in that situation. Oh, of Again, course you I'm don't, not, you Simmons defender. No, I'm <laughs> not a Ben guy in the slightest, but just like eh, one of those things you – he wasn't really looking at the clock. His back is turned away. He kind of just throws it up. Is it terrible? Yeah, but it's not the reason they lost. Yeah, I would agree with that. All right, so... I mean, that... from the objective perspective, it was hilarious because it was this such a <laughs> rainbow high-arcing shot that was not going in at any point in time, and there was still a bunch of time left. It was like Carlton in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air or something. Yeah, and then Siakam still had enough time to run down the exactly. floor and that dunk the... and celebrate that, Those after. points count. Uh, I actually, yeah, 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 because they won by five, so those okay. definitely, those definitely counted. I did anybody get mad about that on Twitter after the game? I didn't. I make it a habit to like not read Twitter uh, after losses for the most part. But. Not necessarily seriously, but a friend of the podcast, Zoe, uh, tweeted like um, something like uh, Siakam dunking and that like handwriting emoji, like handwriting emoji, like taking notes, just like we'll remember that like kind you of. You made thing. the list. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't think that was like a pouty like that's the disgrace to the game type thing it's just zoe being zoe messing around okay well we'll move on to more positive subjects i think leading into this game there were a ton of good vibes the 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 blowout of jimmy butler and the miami heat on saturday friday they got a comfortable win over i mean i know the spurs are struggling but it's still a 
a competent organization and team normally. So you always take a win over the Spurs if you're an average NBA franchise. So what was your – you were at the game on Saturday, correct, for Jimmy Mania? I was at both. Okay, so you're at both. What was your favorite part of – the weekend at least from a Sixers perspective we can get to personal life later I sure uh, Jay Rich popping off on Saturday oh dude that was awesome I I legit I, I mean I know he's always been a good player and and you you lay all the platitudes on him but he's like the prototypical three and D guy I mean no one could have thought he's gonna create the create with like this right like no one came into Saturday talking about Man, the Josh Richardson revenge game is about to happen. All the all the attention, all the headlines are centered around Jimmy Butler, and I, I'm certainly I'm part of the group of people that creates the headlines. So I was a part of that. I I think blood is on is, your hands. Yeah, I mean, some of it is because we didn't really know what Richardson was going to be able to offer. He had missed the last two games with injuries, and then that guy comes out and he looks like he was just sending a personal message to, to everybody with the heat to, to go screw basically apex mountain. Don't fucking trade me game. <laughs> what is the apex mountain? Like, I don't do you, do you honestly want to know what it is? Yes. It's like, what's the pinnacle of their career? Like what, is, like this mountain that has peaks and valleys of a given actor or player's career. What is the absolute apex of that mountain? What is the, most shining example, the best performance, the best part of their career. I just so I know you you're referencing Simmons with this. I can never remember him using that exact phrase, but maybe that just means it I does it on the rewatchables. Okay, maybe I have not listened to. I don't listen to all Simmons of them. I just listen. Lately. I just listen to all the ones that are obviously movies I like. Okay, well, good stuff. If you like, if you're into Simmons, he's, I know a lot of people listen to this. Probably don't like his basketball takes, but. From a pop culture standpoint, I really do still love his interviews and podcasting. So rewatchables is pretty entertaining. Yeah, good podcaster. Maybe not the best basketball takes all the time, but you know, everyone gets old one day. <laughs> everyone has their strengths no, and weaknesses. Being serious, someday uh, we'll suck at doing this. Well, hopefully that day. Is hopefully not it's like twenty-five soon. years, thirty years, maybe. But yeah, when we're riding it off into the sunset with our iPhone Duck podcast, maybe. iPhone thirty-eight. <laughs> Uh, well, so over the weekend, we can talk about the positive side with Embiid. I think the last, and even tonight, even in the loss against Toronto, I think we've seen some legitimate progress from him insofar as he's improving against double teams, especially in that Miami game. Now, partially it's because he's playing against Myers Leonard and even Bam Adebayo, who's a good defender, but has just given up a ton of size to Embiid. But they're sending doubles at him and sending good help defense. And he just – he felt it so early that by the time the double arrived, the ball was already in a shooter's hands. And that really – that to me is the next step that he's needed to take and that he has to take to be an unguardable offensive player. Now calling him anything close to an unguardable player after a zero-point effort in Toronto obviously sounds ridiculous. But it, this has been, for basically a, a year or two now, this has been the biggest thing stopping him from being the offensive force that he needs to be. And I think they have slowly started to figure out how to play around him. And it's just a matter of him, number one, being better, and then the guys making the open shots that 
he's essentially creating for them. Yeah, he's definitely gotten better as a passer. And it's something that, again, like you're saying, it's been really more prominent over the last week or two, I'll say. But obviously, we didn't really see anything in that tonight. He had two assists, I believe. I was actually looking at the box score real quick, and then the way it shows defensive rebounds and then rebounds. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, So then I see 10 and 13. I was like, did he have 10 assists? What the hell happened? I was like, what game did I watch? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, but did not have 10 assists. Don't worry. No. No, I mean, and even even in the games he played where he was good over the last week, it's been a lot of hockey assists versus pure assists. It's guys, the ball swinging and, and somebody making a shot in the opposite corner. But those are just as important. The thing that he needs to do, and he didn't do it well against Toronto, he had four turnovers, is he has to cut down on the turnovers where he's just over dribbling. And if they just, get, even if they're misses, just the fact that they can get shots up instead of turnovers that sounds a bit like very stupid and obvious okay Trent Dilfer it's a no but it's a huge it's a huge difference because even if they miss these shots they're a team that can be really good on the offensive glass they have a lot of guys that are are big strong that can mix it up in traffic I mean even James Ennis coming off the bench is a great offensive rebounder so if he can just turn these turnovers into attempts for other guys, that's a big deal. And then certainly if they're able to make them, that's like this is a, a totally different team, basically. Yeah, if he stopped playing bad and started playing well, it'd be pretty good. Yeah, like that's that's <laughs> been the – I said on uh, – it was either Friday or Saturday, I said that the Sixers were running their make shots offense and that I don't know why they don't run it more often. And, I mean, really that's been – Look at Josh Richardson. It's not like he's taking different shots. He's taking all the same looks that he's been getting all season. Why did he miss the other ones, though? Well, because they weren't running the make shots <laughs> offense, Seamus. It's pretty obvious. The ball uh, movement has definitely been better over the last couple of weeks. I was watching, obviously, I watched both games in person over the weekend. And even then, especially the Miami game, just looked way different than the Sixers team I could have imagined them being, even this time last year. Yeah, I, I think one thing I've also noticed apart from Joel Embiid reading doubles better is that the cutters have just timed their cuts better. Maybe that's – I think Mike Scott has gotten a little bit of an uptick in minutes recently, and I think he's done a very good job individually of timing his cuts. James Ennis has been getting a, a decent amount of minutes. He's done a good job of that. I love so, James Ennis. He's just – we've talked about this Solid. before, but – He's he a dog is just on defense. The, the quintessential wing role player. Now, unfortunately, there are nights where he's just a foul machine and can't get out of his own way. But I just I like everything about what he brings to the table. If he could dribble a little bit more, he certainly wouldn't be, be on Hall a minimum fame, contract. <laughs> but I, I think actually one of my favorite moments of the season so far was – I don't remember what game it was. I think it was the game against the Knicks – he had like a double clutch dunk that he threw down that I didn't even know that was in the James Ennis uh, wheelhouse or, or bag of tricks, whatever you want to refer to it as. But They sleep. They do sleep. Watch how they switch sides on, on James <laughs> I, I specifically didn't say that just so I didn't want to burn it out too much. Even though I probably <laughs> we have already to get did. at least one of if those said, in okay. every podcast. That's that is even in a, a Markellism, so I did want to change it up a little bit. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's Pierre-ism. a, that's a contractual obligation for us to, to throw one of those in every podcast. Yeah. Um, Seamus, do you think you could play 
as many minutes as Matisse Thibel and foul less. So what did what did his minutes? He played three foul. minutes and had three fouls tonight. Yeah, because I just wouldn't be close to anyone. <laughs> well, so you wouldn't not act the, uh... not actively like passively be not close, <laughs> and just because everyone is running faster than me and everyone's bigger than me and getting around me, you wouldn't take any of the like professional slash quote unquote European fouls where a guy gets by you and you just gank his jersey and take. I take would definitely take a couple dives just for the hell of it. Why not? I'm never going to be out there again. And why am I on the NBA floor in the first place? Yeah, I mean, you might as well reach. But he's not getting I, – I think my beef with Thibault right now is he's not getting his money's worth on these. They're all very ticky-tack, cheap reach-ins. And I get it. He's, he hasn't he's earned trying it. to uh, – I mean, not, I don't give a shit. I mean, in the ref's eyes. Yeah, right. It's He's trying to – I think he's trying to overcompensate a little bit too much right now because he's not getting a lot of minutes. And, and Brett did allow him to play through after the third foul tonight for – I mean, play through for like another minute. It was, but normally he would have yanked him. He's like, all right, see if you can get through another minute without picking up a fourth foul. Not exactly the the biggest accomplishment in the world, but I think he's finding out very quickly that the NBA is not like playing in the Pac-12 where you're playing a bunch of white dudes who are going to turn into accountants and financial advisors. You're playing against actual NBA guys who have moves and counter moves and even get a scouting report before the game where they know your tendencies. So that's it's something he's got to clean up because the choice that Brett Brown has right now is, okay, you get to play the rookie who can't stop fouling and can't make a shot, or you get to play Furkan Korkmaz who gets run through as if he's a piece of paper mache on defense. So it's not, a, not exactly a uh, cornucopia of options right now. Has he gained a pound since he came into the league? Who, Furkan? Correct. I think he probably has. I mean, he's handsome. I get it, but come on. <laughs> you wouldn't be able to tell because it's the same. I will say this. He's competing harder, and he's getting the spots, but the problem is once he gets there, he just gets blown through. And he also – his build makes it look like even when he's getting fouled and guys are like throwing forearms into him or a shoulder that should be an offensive foul – He's never going to get the benefit of the doubt because he's too skinny. That's my take on his defense. Is he, he needs to get fatter just because it'll be able to, he'll be able to sell it to the officials better. I think. What if we got him to go on a cheesesteak tour with me? I mean, we could try to arrange I mean, that. I don't it, know. I that, think it would be uh, fantastic. I don't know that the team. <laughs> It'd be would tremendous for, for content, as I Darren Roval would say. Also, I have no idea what his dietary habits are. He could be a, a vegetarian or a He's vegan. He's probably not a big cheesesteak guy from what I would guess. Yeah, I can't imagine so. But Go to Goldie Falafel together. <laughs> I don't want to make any assumptions here. But, yeah, he needs to put on some pounds. Number one for functional strength. Number two because he's never going to get any respect from the officials unless he does. Um, okay, but – Nothing about like Furkan. Nothing. Quirkmas's appetite. Nothing but complain on this podcast. No, we talked about Jay Rich. We did talk about Josh Richardson. Okay, here we're going to talk about Tobias because no, let's time, not talk about him because then he's going to start playing poorly again. He played well over the weekend. Exactly, and I think we need to give him his just due. I think then you jinx it. Yeah. All right. Well, if the jinx I'm man, kidding, if you I'm think kidding. I'm the jinx get, man, I'm, and I'm I have kidding. that much let's power, let's talk about it. Yeah, I, I I legitimately think he's 
he's creeping towards good defender, not just passable defender, which I think was the goal for him coming into this year. I think he is very close to being legitimately good on defense, and I'm not sure that I ever would have said that coming into the season. He's regularly making good defensive plays in individual matchups. His rotations are better. He's obviously – he's a big communicator, which helps everybody. I just – I think that he has been – his defense has been one of the biggest pleasant surprises for the team this season, I think. Yeah, and it goes beyond the way we imagined defense saying, hey, there are no real weak spots, and we just assumed Tobias was, if there were, was right. to be a weak link would be him, even if he's not necessarily a negative defensively. But him to be actively a positive is huge. And come playoff time, when everyone, the stars are playing the lion's share of the minutes, they're going to be stout defensively. And I think we've seen some up and downs defensively to begin the season. Some things are just working themselves out. These guys are playing together for the first time. Some of them, uh, you know, still getting used to each other, still getting used to the communication between one another. But I have no, what's the word I'm looking for? Qualms about what they're going to do in the postseason defensively. Yeah, I mean, once they go to the bench, there will be some question marks. But there, even Ennis and the... Mike Scott's passable. Ennis is okay. Yeah. They throw Tease out there for a couple minutes. Hey, give us five hard minutes type thing. And five hard fouls. Yeah, just you're you're gonna goon <laughs> it up like John Cheney's the coach at Temple. Oh my god. That could well, never happen today. <laughs> oh dude, John Cheney is definitely built in a different era. He that could not would. imagine that Calipari fight. Oh, and imagine like I mean anything. Imagine any of it. <laughs> like Bobby Knight throwing chairs and uh, stuff yeah, he, back he, in the day. His ass would be cancelled. Oh my dude, yeah. Bobby Knight is canceled prob- now. Should probably be in, should probably in jail. I'm being <laughs> serious. Uh, yeah, that, we'll leave it at that. I don't need to go on my soapbox on Bobby Knight, but shout out John Cheney, Philadelphia legend, great guy. I, I would my type of jail would only have basketball people in there, <laughs> like Nate Duncan. Nate Duncan, he's <laughs> roommates with Bob Knight in jail. They both got life. Yeah, and as soon as he criticizes Greg Popovich, Bobby Knight would throw a chair at him. So. Yeah, Bobby Knight is trying to read like this old Sun Tzu, The Art of War, and Nate Duncan's trying to show him the 2015 Spurs cap sheet. <laughs> uh, well, okay, but the again, to circle back to... <laughs> On that note... To circle back to a bit of positive, and this includes the Toronto game too, the defense as a whole has started to round into shape. I think the the best example was Miami. Obviously, that was just a – they kicked ass in that game across the board. But Miami's been on a roll this year, and they just – they couldn't do anything they wanted to do. It felt like the Sixers dictated the the pace, the tempo of that game, what spots they got to. I thought Al Horford probably played his best defensive game of the year that night. He didn't really – put a foot wrong on pick and rolls when when Dragic wanted to take a floater he was contesting it when he wanted to throw the lob he was right there with guys like Bam Adebayo who he can't really jump with but he's certainly long enough and smart enough to to position himself well so that was a big part of it Ben Simmons obviously his defensive performances lately have been excellent I think even though the offensive concerns are there he's been great but yeah, I mean, I think that's probably the one overarching positive you could say from the last week, week and a half or so, is that they're finally starting to make all the plays that 
we expected them to make right from the jump on defense and and even on offense they're they're getting a little better certainly they're not going to get an offer from Joel Embiid every night so everything as much as this will be a a loss that will generate a lot of takes I think overall they're moving in the right direction yeah I thought Ben over the weekend and for the last week or so had played like a defensive player of the year candidate yeah, I would agree with that. I think the the second, and we talked about this in the emergency pod after the Knicks game, that that like we'll call it about 18 minutes from the mid midpoint of the oh, third man, quarter yeah. on in the Knicks game is the best defense I've ever seen him play. And he wasn't quite at that level in the, the three games that followed, but he wasn't that far off. And I think his engagement there was great. And I think his commitment has been better than ever there lately and certainly if he keeps that up that's going to make a huge difference for this team especially when they get more than zero points out of their franchise center yes again zero if it if he just scored like six points and they still lost by five it would have been great just to not have to deal with it yeah and i don't even know what the solution was in that toronto game honestly i think you just have to like take your lumps and just take the off of the game yeah, because they, they tried different stuff. They actually had Simmons and Embiid ran at least a couple pick and rolls that I can remember, and, and Richardson and Harris got involved in that way too. So there was more offensive variety that we saw. It's not like they just they threw the same play out there over and over again, and that was it. So, that, look, everybody's got bad nights. That was the worst one I've ever seen from him, and I have to imagine there won't be many more like that. That would be the, the silver lining to take away. What are the odds he has zero points in the game again on his con- current contract? Uh, pretty long, I would say. I, I don't know that I could I think he'll make a point to do anything in his realm of possibility to not get zero points again from the shellacking he's going to take online. I mean, how many times does any basketball player that gets into a game – how many times does that result in a zero point night? It's pretty. It's got to be pretty rare. I don't at least, know. Let me fire at least for a basketball reference. Yeah, I mean, we don't have to go too deep, but so I mean, everybody, everybody but two players that played in uh, Monday night's game scored. It was Embiid and Chris Boucher who played thirteen minutes. So I, who's I, to say who's better between them? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say, but many more good Embiid games to come. So let's end on a positive note, a non-basketball note, Seamus. You and I have uh, both been watching the HBO show Watchmen based on, well, not I shouldn't even say based on. Based in the, the universe of. The original graphic novel because it's basically a continuation of where the story left off. I don't know how many listeners are familiar with the graphic novel. Maybe you saw the pretty divisive movie that Zack Snyder directed years back, but it is probably my favorite show on TV right now. And I know Seamus is a big, big comic book guy. So I wanted to get his take on the show so far before we ended this one. Sure. There are a lot of superhero shows out there that are just certainly for like comic book fans and nerds, like those uh, CW shows. I watch some of them, not all of them, but they're just kind of mindless entertainment where this is like a true prestige tv capital p capital t capital v show that kind of supersedes any sort of genre of fiction demarcations to me 
Yeah, and I think so. You've read the original graphic novel. That was correct? the first comic I ever read. Yeah. There you go. Well, so I, I don't know if you would agree or disagree with me on this. I think the best part of the show so far has been that it feels like they nailed the mood and the tone and the overarching themes from the graphic novel without it feeling like they're just trying to replicate the graphic novel. They're trying to do something new and unique and with a different spin with new characters and and new stuff that they're doing. And so I feel, I feel rewarded having read the graphic novel, but I feel like it's a show that other people can still enjoy because it's not standard superhero stuff. It's, it is still a deconstruction of what people think when they hear superheroes and what they think when the themes of good versus evil are discussed and i would recommend reading the original graphic novel even to people who are not into the comics and like superhero stuff i think it's it's one of the best pieces of fiction that i've read personally not that i'm like big fiction guy but i think people need to watch this show and i've actually been surprised at how little it seems to be discussed on social media and such relative to some of the other big HBO properties that have come down the pipeline. Yeah, well, how big was Thrones when it first came out? Not saying That's it's, true. it's, it's, not, uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's I mean, not going to be Game of Thrones. It's not in the slightest, but I'm just curious. But it's also but a different, I'm even it's different media climate then. Yeah, I'm even comparing to something like Succession, where okay. that, show, that but, show doesn't come with, I don't know, a lot of initial fanfare, but then pretty quickly becomes this... I don't want to call that a phenomenon, but it's a pretty no, big and and pretty. I think we're in an echo show. chamber a little bit with that show. Maybe, but I like. I think that's a pretty well liked show, and sure, there are like there are like podcasts and and recap shows dedicated to it. Like it's a pretty pretty sure. big show as far as HBO shows are concerned, and because Watchmen has the the connection to superheroes and this existing the, the IP big following. Yeah. I would, I would think that it'd be a bigger thing than it is or that it seems to be right now, but I, I can't explain why that is. I just think people should watch it. And that's my take. Yeah. You, you kind of hit the nail on the head in terms of what the appeal is of the show. I kind of hearken it to more of a remix of the original series rather than some sort of remake or reboot. And it's not even yeah. a con direct direct continuation where it takes place about you know 35 ish years after the events of the original comic book series and the 2009 movie that uh kyle had mentioned made by Zack snyder so while it does enhance your viewing to be familiar with the original text i don't think you necessarily need to see that to enjoy the show are you going to enjoy the show on the deepest most philosophical metatextual level if you don't read the comic book no but not every person has to be super anal like me or you know people that are quote unquote online to enjoy something well since you just dropped the word metatextual and on this podcast i don't think we're allowed to make fun of the nerds i'm like i'm like i'm not a basketball nerd i'm a nerd in other aspects (laughs) i was an english major in college i read comic books all the time but i'm not like you know uh nicole Jokic had his uh 14th triple double of the season why is it always Jokic? That's the because it is him. <laughs> Who else uh, would it be? Well, it used to be Maxi Horford on Maxi, some level. Maxi Kleber, Al, Al Horford, th- who everyone in Philadelphia definitely always loved and wanted to play for their team. Uh, 
Tomas Sadoransky is the player you're looking for, I think. Uh, Jokic is definitely the leader, but who's like number two <laughs> NBA nerd? You know what? And he's he's really good, and he's having an MVP caliber season. There's some of this with Luka Doncic, though, where the whole start of this season has just been about, wow, look at how smart we all were for thinking Luka would be good and you didn't. And I thought Luka was going to be really good at coming, like coming into his rookie season, and he has been really good. But there's just there's this annoying Twitter thing where it's even more amplified than his season already would have been because there's all the – the draft Twitter people have to take their their victory lap because finally a a white European guy was as good as everyone thought he might be. Well, I will say that what differentiates that in my mind, yeah, quote-unquote draft Twitter is being quite annoying about it, but uh, Luca's game has so much more pizzazz and flair and entertainment value to me compared to someone like Al Horford or you know, even Jokic. So that's where it's like, I don't care. I love this guy's good. He's fantastic for the game. I don't, and if it's, it's really hard to do. Neither of us are do it or at all. I certainly aren't, don't excel at it, but blocking out Twitter sometimes can be really productive in terms of how you're enjoying something without uh, needing to have the feedback of thousands of other people at the same time. That's true, but I don't block because I'm not a coward. Uh, I didn't mean block people. I meant like <laughs> block out, like don't use the app for like, like, 10 minutes of your day and just enjoy something that would be the healthy thing to do Seamus. not that i do it all the time but sometimes i just kind of throw the phone on the other couch on the left seat and you know watch tv for an hour and a half and just enjoy the show for what it is rather than what whomever is tweeting about it all right well on that note i'm gonna throw my phone and my things and the trash. to the side not to the side not to the trash i will probably go watch the latest episode of The Mandalorian, another show you guys should watch. Next episode, let's talk about it. I will watch that show with the rest of my free time tonight, get a good night's sleep, and thank you everybody, as always, for joining us. Watch Watchmen, listen to this podcast, give both five stars, and we'll talk to you soon.